Democratic nominee Quentin T. Howell is a Baldwin County native. He's the co-owner of Howell's Medical Equipment and Supply and host of the Talking Straight Show with Quentin T. Howell. Quentin T. Howell, I want to thank you for joining me today on WRGC 88.3 FM. Oh, my friend, thank you for the invitation. It's always a pleasure. We are in a, um, a very important time in our country's history, and our state's history. Uh, but as you will be going uh, up to Atlanta, uh, I want to ask, with all of these pressing issues facing us as a state, what, in your opinion, other than just the constitutionally mandated budget, uh, what do you think is the first order of business um, for the legislature when it convenes this January? Oh, man, easy answer, because um, I think there's three top ones, but if you want me to give you the top one of those three, and that's our um, health care system. We are in a state in the, um, where we do not have the Medicaid expansion. We are in a state where citizens, and a lot of people don't know this, uh, Mr. McDonald, in this community, but if you own property here, such as you and myself, you are getting double taxed. You're getting taxed two times for the same thing. And, you know, we fought a war against that. We fought a war against double taxation, but because you have uh, 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 leaders in Atlanta who want to put politics over people, they're sending back over forty billion dollars. A few years ago, the total was forty-four billion dollars, but so it's over forty billion now of our tax dollars because they didn't like the previous president. You know, at this point in time. It don't matter who the previous president or the current president is. We do not need to be sending back Georgians' tax dollars. And these tax dollars aren't just general fund monies. These are monies that go directly into our health care system. In Baldwin County, as well as Putman County, the two counties I'll be representing, the citizens pay two taxes because they, the hospitals get something called indigent care. And that money they're sending back is part of indigent care. And that indigent care gives both of those hospitals a couple million dollars. I don't know that number, but a couple millions. So in Baldwin County, you're getting taxed on each individual property you have just so you can try to get the hospital 500000 So that, I guess to, to put it so it'll be simplistic, that's like getting shot with a shotgun and getting a few band-aids to cover up the wounds. That's not going to work. So the point of the primary objectives we have to be is our health care system with Medicaid expansion. We need to stop turning around the billions, whether it be the 40 billions of dollars, and, um, and put that back into our um, back into the state of Georgia, that we create a litany of jobs. Just in the middle of Georgia area alone, we're talking about, and this is from Atlanta, not my statistics, over 300-some-odd thousand jobs in the middle of Georgia area alone. Think if Baldwin or Putman County had five or 10,000 of those jobs. Not no hundred, but just five or 10,000 of those jobs. What that would equate to. And what that would equate to, and that's why I say I want to put Millersville and Putman back to work, but not just from an economic standpoint, also, our hospitals. We have been hit with COVID-19 so hard in this area. Eatonton, as well as Baldwin County, is considered a hot spot. Statistics came out yesterday saying Baldwin County has, unfortunately, per population, is one of the hottest spots in the Georgia for, um, for the coronavirus. But we have a hospital that's teeter-tottering about to close. Baldwin County Hospital, as well as the Putman County Hospital, almost went in bankrupt. Well, excuse me, was in bankruptcy. For almost a year, now Baldwin County Hospital has been taken off by Navison, and it's still teetering and tottering. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and the state of Georgia has already lost two hospitals in the past two months. And I got some um, 
while I was waiting for the interview, I was looking up online at the hundreds of hospitals that have closed in uh, in the southeast. And Georgia have almost about 80 or 90 of those closures just in the state. And we just had two closures in the past two months. Well, well so I think we that number for address this. Well, I think that number for closures is eight or nine hospitals. Um, actually, I actually had a question about that earlier, so I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, but we've seen seven hospitals close in recent years, and there you are right. There have been two more that have announced that they will close by the end of the year, and that's uh, in Jackson County and in Randolph County. Um, and so that is a large issue that uh, I'm glad that you brought up. But I'll ask a rejoinder, since you took away that future question from me uh, by talking <laughs> right about the Medicaid expansion. Is the Medicaid expansion enough to um, stabilize health care in the rural parts of the state? Or are there any other uh, proposals that you have or proposals that um, you would support that can shore up health care specifically for rural Georgians? You asked, is it enough? It's, it's definitely enough to destabilize it. It's enough to destabilize. When I look, while you were saying that, I Googled hospitals closing in the state of Georgia, and what I got, what I pulled up was uh, 113 rural hospitals closing. That was a year ago. Uh, um, COVID-19, last trial for Georgia, rural hospitals about to close. Northeast Georgia hospitals becoming second to closing. I mean, I got more of these that I could read than, than necessary. And if you understand what the Georgia Medicaid expansion is, these are monies that is already being paid. These are tax dollars that Georgians are already paying that's being sent out of the state to California, New York, wherever the state is getting them. That would give us a much-needed stabilization in our health care. It would. And let's be clear, it would give insurance to those who don't have it at this point. That's why it's called an expansion of Medicaid. It's not free money. It's money that's already been worked for. And it's money that's already being paid that we're not getting the benefit of. And now if you own a property in the state of Georgia, you're being doubly taxed for it. I mean, that's for me, I, I'm a conservative. And I tell anybody, I'm, I'm a Christian conservative. I tell anyone I have Christian principles and conservative values, and um, and I say that loudly, boldly, and proudly. And I think sometimes we need to remember some of our Christian roots, and that won't be so much of a separation with who's got a D or an R between a name. And I also think that kind of keeps you a little guided from a holistic standpoint, knowing who um, your Savior is and knowing where your strength comes from, and always being able to rely on the Bible. That's one thing several of us I think should be able to have in common to be able to work together easily, understanding the good book that we that we come out of, and understanding that good book. You don't strip away health care as it's been done in Georgia. To answer your question even more specific, look at the state of Kentucky. They accepted the Medicaid expansion. We're only Southern state that did uh, when President Obama was on. Their health care has flourished and is a model now. Now they did a little interesting. Uh, um, 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 shifting of it. They changed the name to Bluegrass Care, <laughs> and by changing the name of it, it was accepted a little bit easier. But they're not turning back the billions of dollars that the state of Georgia is. And unfortunately, unfortunately, this district covers two hospitals, not one, but two hospitals that is that is seeing financial turmoil because of this. I have a mother who um, had a stroke, unfortunately, and got subpar care, and I was told by the hospital staff, it's the budget. 
And we apologize. We're sorry, Mr. Howard. But these are the constraints we're up under. There's more examples than I can give in this 30-minute conversation. That, again, that's not a black or white issue. That's not a Democrat or Republican issue. That is a right or wrong issue. That is a leadership issue. And it's a question of where is that leadership. That's one reason I'm reaching up beyond the uh, Republican-Democrat barrier, beyond the aisle, and say, hey, I'm a Christian conservative who want to work on the issues that are affecting us. And I'm asking for the support of this community in doing so. Well, um, when I asked... Our first question, of course, you said that you had several issues that were the top of your priority as you were going to Atlanta uh, come January. Um, my next question, I think, will offer the opportunity to uh, uh, illuminate another one of those. And that is, you know, most candidates run for office because they want to see notable change in the way our government operates. What do you want to change about state government and how will you measure the impact of your time in office? Before we had this interview, I was able to stop at one of our local eateries and get a cup of coffee and speak to some of our voters. Uh, uh, it was kind of an interesting mix. Most of them was uh, conservative Republicans, and we had a great conversation there as I was getting my cup of coffee. And as we was commenting, I made the example to them when they asked me something similar, Mr. McDonnell. I tell them to look at the waitress here. This waitress get paid. $2.13 an hour. When I was a waiter back in high school, which wasn't that long ago, but long enough, I got paid $2.13 an hour. I think it's ridiculous that Georgia is one of the few handful of states that have a minimum wage but not a livable wage. So if you're a waiter, you get $2.13 an hour. If you're not a waiter, the state minimum wage is five dollars and some change. Well, but let's is also say that for yeah. for wait staff, of course, it's two dollars and um, it's roughly two dollars an hour, but it's plus tips and plus tips in a community that's already stricken with humongous mm-hmm. job loss, and you get penalized if you don't get you get get a certain amount of tips. Mm-hmm. And if you look past that wait staff, it's five dollars and some change. Mm-hmm. It we are a few Georgia. When I say we, we are a few states who are a handful of states that only do this minimum wage and not a livable wage. I love how the federal government did it. If you look back, I think it's 2010, maybe 2011, and I put all this on my website so it's easily accessible. Everything I say to you, um, I, can, I can be documented held to it. And if you look, I put the chart on there how the federal government actually has raised the um, – the, how they raised it, the uh, uh, minimum wage from $5 and some change up to, um, I think it's $7 and some odd now. And they did it in increments, not all at one time. It was a responsible race, and it was upon a Republican presidency, which I am more than fine with. But the state of Georgia has to do that. I want to see that change. I want us to go from a minimum wage to a livable wage. And I also have another uh, uh, issue, a point I can address it now, or I can wait till you ask your next question. Uh, no, I, I, please, address it. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's our educational system. Um, I had a long conversation with our superintendent yesterday. Uh, I think you know, most people listening may or may not, but I do a variety of work within our school system, volunteer work. I've been volunteering in there for years, owning my own business and being a local um, um, 
Pedorth is here in town, has given me some leeway to be in our school system. I, I run several volunteer and mentoring programs. One thing I see that is a problem, and if you talk to teachers, which I have done more, t- more than one time, you talk to the principals, which I have done more than one time, if you go to the superintendents and when you sit down with them, you understand we have a literacy problem here in the state of Georgia, not just Bill and Putnam County. And you also understand how you start this interview off talking about the mandated responsibility we have as a state House of Representative member of the budget. The, we are not mandating enough funds to cover early childhood programs dealing with literacy. We have to do that. We cannot continue balancing the book, the balancing the books on the backs of our youth, uh, backs of our school kids, on the backs of our teachers, on the backs of our schools. There's responsible ways to um, to fund our early childhood literacy programs. There are responsible ways to fund our school system as a whole and not just running money into schools that everybody cannot attend or cannot even afford to attend. Uh, we can do better. Baldwin can do better. The state of Georgia can do better. And that's the only reason I'm sacrificing the time for my business, for my family, for my lovely wife. To, to run this race, it's not for any type of glorification at all because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of cold meals. Or if, if I get the meals in the afternoon when I get home. But I believe the fight is worth it. When I prayed to God, when I fasted, when I, when I asked what direction you want me to lead in, to go in to be able to be a leader in this community, this the path which was shown to me. And that's why we out here doing the hard work, making a truthful and honest case to why we need better leadership in Atlanta for the State House of Representatives, District 145. And that's why I'm asking for the support of this community. I was in Putman County, and this um, old pastor was a, was a white old pastor with uh, overalls, and he was a conservative Republican, and we had a conversation, and he was shocked that me and him agreed on so much. He said, well, you know, I want to support you. I said, well, sir, I want you to support me. He said, well, I tell you what, you put down everything you just said on paper, you put down your website, you put it down why it's accessible to the public, and I will. And that's why I have the conservative uh, 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 Christian views um, um, under my name because of that conversation. There's nothing we're conversating here about that's not already down that I can be held to. Unfortunately, most politicians don't do that. Most politicians don't stand on that. And we'd have had too many people in this area say one thing and do another or say one thing in one group and then turn around and do something to another group. I don't want, don't want that. I think honest, honesty gives um, leads way to better leadership and being a Christian, I would rather go to, I'd rather lose an election and still be able to go to heaven than win an election and can't get nowhere close to it. And so I do want to just ask a follow-up question to that. Um, you mentioned yes, uh, raising the minimum wage and also um, uh, having a positive impact on education and improving literacy scores here. Uh, how will you measure the impact that you have um, for your time in office? In other words, how will you hold yourself accountable uh, for uh, that progress that you want to be seen made? Well, we can start with the uh, minimum wage, going up to a livable wage. I think that's something that will make a tremendous impact fast, quick, mm-hmm. and in a hurry. For people, because, and I, I understand most people who run for office kind of sits in this big room and and 
have other people go out and volunteer and knock on their doors and all this other stuff. Well, that's not really me. I'm a grassroots person. I'm a community leader who believe in door-to-door grassroots work. That's, that's what leadership is to me, talking to the people and all the people. And I see too many people living in communities where after they pay the rent, the car, the car note, and the car insurance, they're happy to have a few packs of hot dogs in the freezer. Um, that's not the communities that we should be be having here. And I'm talking about people who are working, not people, you know, milking the system or anything such as that. And that comes up all the time when you have these conversations. I'm talking about people who are hardworking folks. Um, a presidential candidate one time said, they called it the working poor when I was in college. And I looked at that terminology, the working poor, and they went on to explain how hard it is. Some, some people have to make decisions on paying the rent or buying the medicine. But that was true then, and this Dawn show is true now. And you can measure that real quick and easy and hurt in a hurry. But we have to address that. We're paying a we're mandating a livable wage, and that can be done in multiple uh, multiple areas. I'm, I'm so open in how figuring out to doing it the best way. My suggestion is stages, but there's many ways to do that. And I think um, until we get the mindset knowing that it's that important to do and joining the rest of the country with the rest of the majority of states who are doing that, then we can't keep wondering why we're not getting more industry here, why we're not getting more businesses here. One thing that wasn't in your introduction is I have served on the Economic Development Authority for two separate entities, for the city of Millersville as well as Baldwin County, upon a majority Republican-led county government and upon a majority-led Democratic government. I believe in bringing the two sides together. And serving that capacity, our job is to bring um, development, bring economic opportunities to this county, to this state. The difficulties it is when you're fighting against other states that have this livable wage, that have happier, better, uh, uh, um, well-paid employees, the state is taking tools away from us that we need. So I understand how to be a job creator in that sense, but we need to make sure we're taking care of our, our um, workers. And the second part of that question when it comes also to the educational and measuring it, if you go to the school systems or if you talk to people within it and you understand you know, people are quick to say, well, there's discipline problems in the school. Kids aren't doing this, they're not doing that. They're not like they were when they used to be. When I got a phone call as heading up in the mentoring program for the Baldwin County School System, um, and they said, well, we got a child that needs some help. He's running around, can't really control him, such and such, such and such. So I was going through it to the high school because I said, if they can't control him and he's this bad, he must be in high school. As we was having a conversation, they explained to me, no, 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 he's at the elementary school. And I couldn't understand. This is somebody who was, I think he was 9 or 10. And we, me and another one of my volunteers got there, and we uh, sat down with him, talked with him, got with the family. We had no problems with him, uh, Mr. McDonald. Couldn't get him to act up at all. He was a very pleasant young man. Um, came and visited with him a couple times during the day, over the course of uh, a few days during the week. No problems. But while I was there on one of those visits, the teacher gave him a little worksheet. wasn't that difficult. And I kind of saw him, he and the hind, and, and you could tell his temperament was changing. And as I was looking at that, it hit me. This young man couldn't read. He couldn't read. 
found out through further investigation, the majority of the kids that's in in-school suspension at the high school, when I say the majority, I'm talking about 90-plus percent who are in there can't read. So uh, um, a, a lot of these behavior problems are centered around kids that don't have the basics when it comes to the education system. And that's not a problem that's indicative to just Baldwin County. It's much bigger than just Baldwin County, much bigger. But until we recognize it's a problem, admit it's a problem, and then try to put um, put the funds that to fix it, give the teachers and the school system and our superintendents the ability and the tools to fix it, then we're going to keep talking about it and wondering about the effects of the problems that are dealing with it. So we can measure that easily um, when it comes to our kids and our school system, and I think we need to start doing it. And I want to be a champion for that as the next representative of the State House of um, Representatives District 145. And as we talk about um, providing the proper resources uh, for what I consider to be the tenets of our society, uh, like education, one of the big parts of that is um, the distribution of federal resources. Now, of course, the United States is currently undertaking its constitutionally mandated headcount, the 2020 census. And after the count, the next order of business is redrawing the lines for all of Georgia's congressional and legislative districts. You know, given how contentious this process has become, should the legislature continue to redraw these districts or should they hand the process over to a neutral party? And why do you feel the way that you do on this issue? It would be a, it would be great if we could say, yeah, let the parties do it, this and that. At the end of the day, it needs to be done to be fair. That's all. The question should be: Are the lines drawn fairly? And people have a voice in the different communities they represent. When we go to gerrymandering, I think that's the undertone of your question. Uh, when we go to just drawing districts to gerrymander and cut people out, we are in a gerrymandered state house of representative seat. The seat, the whole district looked like a darn horseshoe, a little wicked looking, not wicked, but crazy looking horseshoe. And that was to be gerrymandered, to cut certain people out of it for whatever reason that state senator felt at the time. That doesn't make us better as a community in my opinion. Um, it needs to be fair. If the state house, if the parties could do that fairly, I'm all for it. If they can't, then, yeah, it needs to be taken and placed in someone else's hands. Um, we are suffering from that now. We're suffering from uh, um, that diversity. We're suffering from people having that lack of um, that lack of a voice. And it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. You want your voice heard. You want your voice heard. And you don't want to be gerrymandered out you don't want your voice to be gerrymandered out. You don't want nobody to put their foot on your throat, their foot on your mouth, so your voice and your vote is not counting as much as it would have if, if the lines were drawn more equally and more fairly. And unfortunately, over the past 20 years, we've seen a real bad push. And um, it hadn't been, unfortunately, it hasn't been uh, um, done equitably. We are living through one of the most divisive times in our nation's history. What must elected officials do to pull our nation together, and how will you lead that effort uh, through your time in office? The sharp answer to that is a one-word answer, and that's leadership. Um, you say we're living through one of the most divisive times. I don't know. Is it a divisive time? It is. Is it the most? I don't know. I don't know. I, I look and see 
stuff in the past before I was born because I'm not as old as most of the people who's running for office. I would be considered part of a uh, a younger generation of leadership. Um, um, and I thank God for for giving me the ability and having a successful business and a successful family to allow me to sacrifice the amount of time to run for office that I'm doing now um, at this youthful age that I have. But when I listen to stories locally and, and, and see pictures nationally of what we have came through as a community, we came a long way. We came a long way in race relations, and, and we came a long way, period. So I, I say all that because I don't want to nate or not highlight the success that we have had as a nation as well as locally. But you're 100% correct. We got some issues now. Some of that is because of technology, and it's being shown. Some communities say, "Oh my God, we didn't know these issues are going on," and other communities say, "Well, they've been going on. You didn't know." <laughs> well, technology kind of make it hard for people to forget or not to see it. Um, you know, I mentioned it before my my um, my faith, and when we had some local um, domestic violence occurring at a heavy level about two years ago and i think if i remember correctly uh, along with georgia college you was able to come and put part of it on the radio but we held some um stop the violence uh, uh uh religious marches and um and services to because we because i didn't understand no other way better to help what was going on in my community than bringing the lord involved into it and praying for that help and that guidance as a community. I mean, past uh, 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 whatever the political affiliation is, past the, uh, the race, past the age, past the what part of the community you live in, and we had everyone in in in, in churches praying and have service about violence in our community. And these were people who lived on the lake and also lived in the projects. These were people who were white that was black. These were people who were professionals and people that was unemployed. These was um, everyone from the, the sheriff to also some, some, to some criminals, I'm sure. I mean, so it was a very diverse group. So that's part of leadership. And, and leadership has several different uh, aspects on it. Another thing is we got to have leaders who aren't just coming out of their office when it's election time. I think it's good to see some of these people who's running for office now. Unfortunately, I hadn't seen them six, seven, eight months ago. I hadn't seen them last year when there wasn't an election going on. You hold a title, you go into an office, you worry about what's going on in D.C., you worry about that swamp, you worry about um, only Atlanta politics, and you try to spread Atlanta politics to rural Georgia, and that's not happening. That's not always uh, – uh, we're not a cookie-cutter type of government. What works – in the 285 Beltway, it might not work in Millersville and Putman County. What's working in D.C. and in the swamp and up there might not work down here in uh, rural Georgia. And uh, But to understand that, you got to kind of be part of it. You know, um, I wish we had a leadership that understood that more. But that's something I that I will I have been doing, as you can tell by this interview. And if you ever follow me at all, you know that's something that I believe in to the heart. But it's something I will continue doing, and that's being accessible, open and honest, and available to my community, and participating in that community. Because one thing to say, well, you know, anybody can call me in my office. It's another thing to be out there with that community in the different meetings, in the different group settings, 
looking at people, talking to people, seeing what problems are there, and being able to come up with legislation as best of your ability to affect it. That's the type of leader I want to be, and that's one reason I'm asking for the vote, for your vote, Middle Georgia, for your vote for the next representative of the State House District 145. Well, and as my last question, I want to give you that opportunity um, to reiterate some of the things that uh, you've said uh, throughout our conversation now, uh, but to, to have that time directly with our radio audience, potential voters uh, for your campaign. Why should our audience vote for Quentin T. Howell? Thank you, Ms. McDonald. And again, thank you for your time, and please give uh, my uh, 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 appreciation to your staff and also my love to your family. I think you have a beautiful family. Um, to your radio audience, to your radio audience that I'm not a stranger to. I've been interviewed on this station multiple times with so many different community activities, um, different uh, works that we have had. So it's a pleasure to be back on here again. To each and every single one of you, I, am I a perfect candidate? No. Do I have every single answer to every single question? I won't even admit, I'm try to convince you of that. But I have a plan that we can do better. I know we can do better. And I'm asking for your support in that. We want to, one, raise the minimum wage to a livable wage. We want to, two, increase the funding to our um, public school system and their early childhood literacy program so we can have a better red population. That's the only way you can bring industry. You cannot bring industry and business to a community that doesn't have a high graduation rate and a good record within our public school system. It don't matter how many private schools you have. You have to have a strong public school system to do that. And lastly, and probably more importantly, we have to have Medicaid expansion. There's no way no one can convince me that we should be being, that me as well as anyone listening to this uh, radio broadcast should be getting taxed twice. In some cases, if you own more than one piece of property, you're getting taxed three, four, five different times. Because you're getting taxed on each piece of property just because the, the politicians in Atlanta prefer playing politics and putting that over people and not passing a Medicaid expansion. They would rather say, well, that got something to do with that president and this and that. They don't explain to you that the federal government pays that program for 90% for the first three years, and then after that they're paying like 80 85% of it. And, and your tax dollars are funding that, but now your tax dollars are shooting outside the state of Georgia. We are a, a very few handful of states that that is happening. That is, close, that is causing our hospitals to close. It is causing our um, sick our fellow citizens who get sick and get ill, they get subpar care because of that. And I've been a, had, had personal dealings with that with my mother and father. That's one reason I'm so passionate about it, very passionate about it, because I have seen it. And I've talked to the hospital administrators who are complaining about it. I've been to the hospital authority board meetings where they've been discussed, and it is a problem. And to ignore it, or as my opponent told me one time, well, we can talk about that another time. We can talk about that later. That's unfortunate. We don't need political leaders who want to talk about it later, who want to overlook it and want to play politics. We need to have political leadership that understands that the people's voice should, one, be heard, and that we should push the people as a whole forward, not just pick and choose who we like or don't like and all that. And and uh, and, and I would like to also say this if I have time. I have nothing against my opponent at all. I think he's a nice guy. Um, but I, I just feel we can do better. I know we can do better. 
and with your help, we will. Uh, again, I make no um, bones about it. I'm a Christian conservative, Christian values, conservative principles, and I need your support to take those Christian values and conservative principles, real conservative principles, to Atlanta and represent House District 145 the way it should be. Many people listening to this will remember when in the 80s, when Baldwin County and this area had a, a real political strength, when industry was booming, and a large part of that was because of the leadership that we had at that time. I want to go back to those to that type of leadership. I want to go back with that kind of energy, with that kind of passion, and push this community forward, push the agenda of this community forward, and try our best to bring the best leadership that we can back to Baldwin County and Putman County, and it can be done. But I need your support, listeners. I need your support. You, I can be reached easily at www.quintontheowardforgeorgia if you would like to sponsor this campaign or make a donation or help out in any way, shape, or form. Please feel free to uh, go on that web page. You can enter your information in, and my staff will be more happy to contact you. You can make a donation easily there as well. We can do better, but I can only do it with your help. I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for your vote, and I'm also asking for your prayers. My name is Quentin T. Howell, and I'm running for the State House of Representative District 145. I'm T. Howell. I want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to our radio audience on WRGC 88.3 FM. It's always my pleasure, Mr. McDonald. Thank you for your time, sir.